Welcome to episode six of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio, as always, by my co-host, Traveler Extraordinaire. Wow. All-around good guy, <laughs> John Sloat. Thanks, Doc. Good to see you this morning. Good to be in the studio with you here as we uh, are in week six of our academic term here, uh, our, our eight-week sessions, week six. Yeah, coming down to the bitter, bitter end. Yes. So I administered a Greek midterm exam yesterday morning. Yeah, I heard much complaining about yeah, it in the halls. Weeping yeah, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and uh, and you know, well, we'll see how those turn out. But uh, we certainly uh, want to encourage you to uh, connect with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at V and S Pod, and we also encourage you to uh, connect with us by email. You can email the show at various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. And we did get an email this week from Nolan in Indiana, uh, who was just appreciating the content we had last week. So, yeah, uh, so so kudos there. So be sure to send us an email and get a mention with your state. Um, absolutely, yes. And uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, one of the ways that you can uh, do us a solid is by rating it. And also, if you would want to go to the uh next level to even leave a brief review, those things help with whatever algorithms the various podcasting services The various and sundry podcasting services, <laughs> use, yes. Use to figure out what shows they uh, recommend to others who haven't come across it yet. So, And we're open to critical feedback of absolutely. the show. Send it in to us, but only five-star ratings. Yeah, that's, that's all we're interested totally. in. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Sa- save your uh, save your comments, your, your, your nasty comments for the email and, you know, um, but we've we've received some not critical but some some pushback uh, from listeners so far. We've you know acknowledged that and, we've engaged. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, so as we uh, start, we we want to actually start with an apology that last <laughs> week we failed you as our listening audience uh, because we failed to give you the coronavirus update, and so we're going to start with. The latest information we have as of uh, Tuesday morning as we're in the studio here on February 11th. Yeah, 9.24 a.m. Okay, um, so do I need to give the breaking news a uh, little bumper music here? I don't, I don't know if it's breaking news if we're going to do it week by week. Okay. Oh, we didn't do it last week. <laughs> we didn't so. do it last week. We should have. Um, yeah, so uh, if you were unaware, uh, end of this month, I take a team of Grace College students to uh, the island of Taiwan, which is about a stone's throw or a little more uh, from mainland China, uh, but is not mainland China. Uh, and then currently the coronavirus is at 43,139 cases, uh, which is huge. And I believe per- surpassed SARS today or yesterday or something, okay. something, something along those lines. Uh, and the island of Taiwan is at a total of 18 cases okay. and one recovered. Now, one of the interesting things, if you're not geopolitically savvy, China and Taiwan do not get along. That's Uh, true. So Taiwan has declared itself independent. China says they're a wayward state. (laughs) And uh, Taiwan has actually uh, uh, been, been unable to report coronavirus cases because of political reasons. No one allows Taiwan a seat at the table. 
um, whether it be the World Health Organization or at the CDC, no one allows them to come. So China is actually reporting for Taiwan all the cases they have. And China keeps ticking up the number of cases, and Taiwan disputes those number of cases that are there. Okay. So it's a fascinating thing because there's lots of reports about China underreporting the coronavirus across their own country, but overreporting for their wayward state. I see. So, and okay. that has been your coronavirus update. Any questions, Matt Harmon? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, I, I appreciate uh, the service you're providing, not only me, but now our listeners in, in uh, walking us through that, because I, I, I do not keep a, a close watch on that. But uh, as I have questions, I know you're my guy. You're my coronavirus guy. Yeah, you know. our, our school nurse has begun, begun to come to me to ask, <laughs> hey, what are you hearing about the coronavirus in Japan? You know, or what do you, you know, I am the local Winona Lake expert on the coronavirus. Okay, yeah. Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, now that uh, football season, well, now that the NFL is over. Sure. Uh, there is football going on, and perhaps we'll, we'll talk about the XFL in the future. Uh, I know... My own focus, sports-wise, tends to shift towards the NBA a little bit more. I, I watch the NBA even as the NFL season is ongoing. But now that the NFL is is done, my attention turns a little bit more uh, directly to watching the NBA, tracking what's going on there. And so uh, as we approach the All-Star break, I thought it would be uh, maybe good, since we've not really talked NBA at this point, in uh, in our show history, because we've been focused on finishing out the NFL playoffs and and Super Bowl and that kind of thing, yeah, that uh, we should probably at least uh, kind of check in on the NBA and what's going on here. So yeah, and uh, I, I have a tendency when it comes to the NBA to begin to pay attention as the playoffs get going. So I keep tabs on it throughout the mm-hmm. season. I generally know what's going on. I watch a highlight here or there. Uh, but for the most part, I'm not I'm not super invested in the NBA until uh, the playoffs begin. So so we may need to lean on you a little bit more in expertise to to understand w- the state of the NBA. Is. Well, I, I I certainly don't want to overpromise our listeners that I'm an NBA expert. <laughs> so I want to be careful about that. Um, I, I very much enjoy the NBA, and I will say that going into this season, I was very much. Uh, anticipating the season perhaps more than normal because of all the free agency moves and the realignment with play, you know star players going to different teams and uh, you know all of the anticipation of what the results would be. Obviously, uh, Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, sure. Kawhi going to the Clippers, and uh, even the Jazz picking up Mike Conley and and you know there were changes in Houston with. The Rockets and and so there were a lot of uh, you know just a lot of question marks as to how would these teams gel together who's per, who would uh, end up sort of separating themselves if at all and it seems pretty clear that both the Lakers and the Clippers have figured out how to mesh their pieces together they're uh, they're obviously playing quite well together. The other team that is sort of separated itself from the pack in the Eastern Conference then is the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. And my understanding of the NBA at this point is that the Clippers have a slight edge over the Lakers. Is that fair to say? 
Well, I'm trying to remember record-wise, I think the Lakers still have a better overall record. Do they? Okay. But I think in head-to-head matchups, if I remember correctly, the um, the Clippers might have a slight advantage here. Yeah, in fact, uh, the Clippers are actually in third place in the Western Conference as of today, uh, three and a half games behind the Lakers. But uh, the, the Bucks are somewhat of the story in the sense of, they are forty four. Uh, see here, forty. They're having a phenomenal forty six and seven. And so there's some discussion of will they be able to break the or at least match Golden State's record of what was it seventy three and nine? I think. I think that's right. A couple of years yeah. ago, three years ago. But um, so, so those are some of the teams. Uh, a couple of surprise teams. One in a good sense, two in a bad sense, at least in my perspective. One in a surprisingly good sense is the Pacers have performed better than expected, I think. With some injuries, right? In light of the fact that uh, Victor Oladipo has been out until probably, I think, about a week ago. And so they've performed uh, surprisingly well uh, past what people have expected given that injury. But uh, on the on the surprising in a bad sense... You've got the Portland Trailblazers, who are, as we speak today, currently in ninth place in the West, which is very surprising. And they had a very exciting run last season. They did, and that's despite the fact that Damian Lillard is is in a stretch where he's playing out of his mind. Right, and and they signed Carmelo Anthony. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. And I think, actually, you know, I'm not a huge Melo fan, but... Uh, I think he's actually been a decent addition for them. Yeah, I think he's accepted his role to to exactly. not be ball dominant and to to kind of be a, a bit more of a shooter. Yeah, yeah, spot up guy. Maybe put him in the post a little bit, um, and as a sort of secondary or even tertiary scorer on the floor. You did uh, not see the mellow left turn coming, did you? <laughs> the first I, thing I, I thought of when I, I saw I the Trailblazers there. Yeah. The other disappointing <laughs> team is the Sixers in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's They're been... a mess despite this collection of talent. So there's a lot of talk of is the uh, do they need to get rid of players? Do they need to trade somebody? Do they need to get rid of their coach? What's the uh, what's the solution there because they're they're really good at home, but they are a tr- atrocious on the road like way worse than you'd expect them to be given the collection of talent they hmm. have and, and I, I, I know one of the big storylines this year and, and maybe even recently has been the houston rockets yeah um and they i don't believe are starting a player over six seven right now is yeah that, that, is that correct that's a recent change within the last i think two weeks where they've gone in all in i mean all chips in the t- on the table into the center on small ball and by nba standards you know, when you don't have anybody out there over six six, that's really small. Yeah, and it's really just a recognition of they think other teams are going to struggle to match up with them to be able to spread the floor, put shooters out there, create driving lanes for Westbrook and Harden. But uh, boy, it just seems like you, you better shoot the ball well because otherwise the other team is going to out rebound you, and they can just pound you inside and i believe they beat the lakers with that philosophy which everybody was like oh my goodness this is the new nba everything yeah and then they lost the next two well and and here's what people i think often fail to to recognize is that the regular season is so different from playoffs because the regular season you've got a game every other day basically and sometimes back to back 
And so when it comes to scouting reports, when it comes to making adjustments, when it comes to all those kinds of realities, um, it can be hard to go from playing one team that's got one style and then the next night they have another you have another team that plays a different style with very different personnel and that's a hard transition. You get in the playoffs and it's best of seven. Yeah. You can dial in on we have to do this one or these one or two things defensively to stop their guys and then you just dial it in, you lock it in, you factor in the level of intensity goes up and I just wonder if a team like Houston playing small ball can can really have a successful run in the playoffs when it comes to that kind of style which has been has been Houston's problem yeah. over the past 5 or 6 years yeah, is absolutely great regular season team can't get it done in the playoffs yeah and of course uh Harden is still scoring out of his mind uh 35 plus a game but of course he's probably taking on average 45 shots a game it feels like so <laughs> not the most efficient yeah. uh scorer uh, LeBron James adjusting his role in Los Angeles now leads the league in assists by a good margin. I think he's at like 10.8 assists per game. The next guy is like 9.1. So. And that was always a great part of his game is his ability to pass, which I think has only been enhanced by having Anthony Davis. Yeah, absolutely. He he clearly has uh, taken a back seat in terms of deferring to Anthony Davis. And then uh, Trey Young, a guy who came out— uh, had a terrible rookie season, has now figured things out, and is having a really successful year for the Hawks, even though the Hawks aren't that good. And then, of course, you can't talk NBA without all the Zion Williamson hype now that he's playing for the last two, three weeks or whatever. And how how well will those knees hold up over the years with yeah. with his size? And I, and I'll be honest, I'm just I, I'm I'm tired of the hype. He's a really good player, really really good, but the attention surrounding him has just been off-putting to me in terms of the hype with which he's sort of talked about. I, I think he's going to be a guy that'll score 18 to 20 a game and he'll have 10 rebounds a game. He's he he will have consistent double-doubles. But he's not going to reach that elite level at least in my of like the LeBron, the Anthony Davis, the um Kawhi Leonard like that sort of like upper echelon top five player in the league kind of guy don't you think he'll be a highlight machine though yeah oh yeah and and that may people may overvalue his sure. abilities because yeah. of that um where could would you mind pulling up the the standings again where do the pelicans sit i think they're 10th in the west okay they've been a fun team to watch uh this this year uh to, to see play um with currently 11th in the west with, Lonzo seemed to have calmed down after the trade. Uh, Brandon Ingram has played really well. I mean, there's been a lot of fun things to watch with the Pelicans. Well, I'm no Lonzo Ball fan, but I will say um, I think it's been really good for him to get out of Los Angeles. And uh, I just think that has been – it seems like there's been less of the the off-the-court kind of junk with his dad being this sort of big, obnoxious personality. Um, or maybe there's just less attention to it because he's not in Los Angeles. He's in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's been good for him. Yeah. And you want to give a brief Knicks update? I mean, is there sure, anything to talk sure. about with yeah. the Knicks here? Yeah, Knicks are bad. And that concludes our Knicks update. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, the the Knicks, um, the owner, James Dolan, is— uh, in, in my estimation, creating an environment where 
players don't want to play and people don't want to come. And so uh, the fact that no free agents came really in the offseason, no big name free agents came in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think there'll be a return to anything close to prominence um, until James Dolan gets rid of the team or eats some humble pie, puts good people in place and then just steps out of the way. Didn't he tweet within the last few days to make it clear he's not selling the team anytime soon? Yeah, yeah, because there were rumors about yeah. Jeff Bezos buying the team and, yeah. a, and a few other guys. So. Yeah, okay. And, of course, since you're our baseball correspondent, uh, you wanted to, to mention that— Pitchers and catchers reported this week. Yeah. So baseball season is coming. It's going to start in, oh, a month or so, end of, end of March. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. So— well, our our main topic, I think, for today's podcast, uh, it seemed like a natural follow-up in some ways to last episode where we talked about singleness to talk about marriage. And uh, I think it's always helpful to uh, sort of preface these kinds of conversations with uh, neither of us are uh, presenting ourselves as experts on the subject. Nope. And, uh, you know, even though when it comes to uh, experience, you're in the engagement stage of life. Yeah. Getting, goodness, three three months until I get married? Yeah. Three months? Yeah. yeah. May? And, uh, you know, for me, we're coming up on uh, 24 years, but uh, I certainly don't consider myself an expert on this topic. Um, I think that, you know, marriage can be tricky to talk about. So I thought that maybe um, maybe we would start with kind of thinking about from a biblical perspective, what is God's intention for marriage to set a sort of foundation for um, for what we're looking at in terms of, of, of marriage. And you know when you when you start to think about that topic, obviously the, the the starting point is in Genesis. And I think that when you look at what is going on in Genesis and then you, also take into account what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, sort of looking back and trying to uh, understand what God's purposes are for marriage. I know for for me, one of the most uh, important and valuable insights about marriage was really understanding that marriage is first and foremost designed by God to be a reflection of his relationship with his people. So in the Old Testament, God uses that imagery to talk about his relationship with Israel. The New Testament talks about the relationship between Christ and the church, and that that's not just a simple analogy. It's not just a mm-hmm. sort of baseline illustration of of what marriage, of, of what his relationship is, but that that from all of eternity, God's relationship with his people was the starting point, and then when he decided, I'm going to create marriage to reflect that, that's that's sort of the order to think through it. And I know for me, uh, that was a really important insight to sort of think about um, why do, how should I live, at, how should my wife and I live together as a picture of Christ in the church? That it's not first and foremost about me getting my needs met or her getting her needs met or um, about certain communication techniques or, um, you know, finding fulfillment in each other. But at the end of the day, that we are called to, together, by the way that we live and interact with each other, be a display of Christ's love for the church. Hmm. 
How could you maybe give me an example of that? Like, I totally 100% agree mm-hmm. with with what you said there. However, it can feel very lofty sure. and ideal and aspirational. And so, how how do we bring that down to the to the ground level a little bit? How do you how do you see that fleshing out? Yeah. So I think that um, one very practical way that that uh, that displays itself is trying to speak about my spouse in a way that reflects honor and enjoyment. Hmm. Because there can be, at least there's an element of culture that can that can have this kind of, it's, it's common practice for the husband to kind of make a crack about, oh, the old ball and chain. I'd love to go out and hang out with the guys, but the old sure. ball, and chain, ball and chain's keeping me at home, you know. And, and then maybe the wife... You know, says about the husband with her women friends, like, oh, he just, he's a pig. He doesn't pick up. He's, you know, he's, you know, he's quiet. He just watches TV all the time. Like, you know, like some of those are kind of standard tropes, kind of standard, uh, you know, kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, throwing shade at your spouse. Mm-hmm. So that even the way you talk about your spouse with others, I think can, can, can be a reflection of how does Christ talk about the church? How is the church supposed to talk about Christ? Mm-hmm. And showing honor in those ways, I think, is one tangible way. Okay. Um, another one is even thinking about um, how, as a husband and wife together, you um, you think about how you invest your time. Hmm. That there's absolutely a place for cultivating time together, just the two of you. And for um, making sure that you are growing that relationship and maintaining it, but there also should be, I think, an outward focus of inviting people into your home, into your relationship, into your family context, uh, as a way for others to practically see that. Whether that's in the context of a small group in church, whether it's hosting people uh, at your dinner table, uh, allowing them to see. Some of more of the internal dynamics, maybe of your marriage relationship, uh, I think, is also something that can can reflect that. So, so marriage, in a sense, is not. I think in Western culture, particularly, we have a sense that we can we can drop into the thinking that marriage is something that is private. It is for me and my spouse and our mm-hmm. in, our, in our four walls. But but what you're advocating for is it's something that. Is for the community as well that that, that others are supposed to come into, see, reflect on, uh, and I, I don't want to say be changed, but um, 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 go forward with that knowledge of who you are and and to know a deeper part of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, just to be clear, it's not merely uh, inviting people in so they can see how awesome you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that they can also see the struggles you have. They can also see the uh, the need to confess sin to each other or to grow in areas of godliness that you're struggling with. And so it, I don't want to paint the picture of, yeah, come on into our lives and see how awesome and great we are. It's come into our lives and watch us try to live this out, all the while recognizing that you're going to see us not live it out perfectly. We're going to struggle at points. We're going to not be a clear reflection uh, certain areas, so sure, and even see sickness, health. I mean, I mean the things that that are said in marriage vows. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, I think that it's one of those areas where 
um, and this time this this pushes out into into family dynamics as well. But um, I, I think the the sort of clarification you made is really important that that marriage is not merely a private arrangement. It's not merely a private institution. It is both a um, uh, for lack of a better term, perhaps an ecclesial hmm. reality relating to the church, like it, it yeah. is, a, it is something that uh, is should be an expression, should be integrated within the life of the church. But also, there is a sort of public societal uh, dynamic to marriage, so that it's not just exclusive to Christians. In other words, uh, God created marriage as a public reality. Hmm societal reality not just a well this is for my people and others you're not supposed to have this or it's no not good for you that as um as christians we should in fact recognize and honor marriage between a man and a woman as a good thing even between two non-christians that's a good thing yes uh and i i think there's something there where anytime there's an opportunity in society and even even in a secular space to say uh, I'm going to deny myself and help the other or to help mm-hmm. uh, my spouse or to help my neighbor. A- anytime that happens, I think it does reflect something of common grace that is that Absolutely. is within us as, as humans. Um, and so I think when we do that, we live in more accordance with the truth. Um, and, and therefore, I think we get a better society out of it. I think uh, businesses are, are more likely to to, to operate in morality. Uh, you know, you know. I think that, and maybe that's a little lofty for our conversation mm-hmm. here, but I, I think there's societal good that happens when things like self denial happen. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the clearest expressions of that is marriage. Right, and I think that too. There, there tends to be a uh, marriage tends to have a. At, at least it generally, again, we're speaking in general terms, there are obviously exceptions to this. Marriage tends to have a stabilizing force hmm. in culture, I think, that um, it, it creates uh, relationships, a relationship that brings with it um, obligations, responsibilities that spill out beyond just the, the four walls of that, of that couple's um, home, that spill out into the larger culture as well. And I I think marriage at times can fly in the face of modern society, uh, obviously in some obvious ways. Um, but we, I was talking to a, a class I was teaching at our church this weekend about uh, the need for, we were talking about faithfulness in ministry, but I, I think the principle applies here that, that when someone steps into a marriage, uh, there is a consistency that is going to be over the long haul. It's going to take a while. Um, and I, I quoted this uh, podcaster from Canada. Uh, his name is Shane Parrish, uh, and he runs this podcast called The Knowledge Project. And uh, one of the things that he said on Twitter this last week, what I, what I thought was phenomenal, was that uh, the longer the frame for results, the less important intensity is and the more important consistency is. And I think that's true in marriage as well. Even though I'm not married, disclaimer, right? Uh, <laughs> that that uh, while uh, our culture may feel that intensity is very important to a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, to a marriage, actually, consistency um, is far more important than intensity. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that um, 
there are certainly uh, various cultural pressures. Various and sundry cultural yes, pressures, yes. yes. That uh, are at work in our context that push against marriage in some in, in some ways. Uh, I think you kind of indirectly touched on one there in terms of uh, understanding what love is and mm-hmm. what 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 long-term married love looks like because I think our culture absolutely has a sort of romanticized understanding of love that uh, is very much based on emotion. It's based on intensity and passion. And so when you have that kind of mentality, the the byproduct is when when that's gone, say, after or diminished after, say, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years in a marriage, then it feels like our culture simply says, well, then you have the, then it's right and probably good. It's a good thing for you to end that marriage mm-hmm. because you no longer have the the intensity, the passion that you've fallen out of love with that person. And so therefore you shouldn't even stay in that marriage. Or just run the clock out. Yeah. That's that's sort of the other option. I think that's out there. Yeah, right. But I think that I think that's probably some of that's generational. The difference between those two, I think, is generational. Interesting. In that, I think older generations tend to be more uh, inclined towards, well, this is just reality. Let's run the clock out and try to figure out a way for us to coexist without killing each other, in a way that um, works for us without really. Us being uh, us enjoying each other, really having a shared life together in any mm. strong sense. I think that's more of a generational thing. I think, especially when it comes to, I would say my parents' generation. I think, yeah, and older, there was just a you got married, and you know, you, even if it didn't turn out as as great as you had hoped, you just kind of figured a way to kind of make it work, and you just can't kind of ran the clock out, figured out ways to exist separately but under essentially the same roof. So that I, I think that's one side of the coin on the, the issue with, with marriage, right? Mm-hmm. We we either take a I gotta get out of this once yep. once we're once the passion's gone, or uh, uh, on that same side the we're just gonna run the clock out. On the other side of that coin is a oh my goodness, my spouse is the greatest thing that ever walked on the face of the earth. Yeah. yeah. Um could could you talk about that a little bit, and then and then how might sure. we go about repenting uh, of yeah. both those both those things? Yeah. Well, I mean, my spouse is the greatest thing that's ever walked. <laughs> <in>, so <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm not sure what the what the problem is that you're addressing here, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, this is one of those areas where certainly uh, Satan can take anything that God has made that is good. Mm-hmm. And twist it into something that is uh, not good or even destructive, depending on the nature of the thing itself. And so, marriage is one of those things, absolutely. And you know, I think we often hear people talking about, "Yeah, Satan's out to destroy marriages." Well, one of the ways he tries to do that is the like, let's just you know, you know, create circumstances that lead to divorce or this sort of kind of semi-peaceful coexistence under a house, you know, in a house. But the other end of that is that he encourages uh, married couples to make the spouse an ultimate thing rather than a good thing. And so I think that 
that's the form of idolatry you're you're trying to 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 bring to the surface here and mm-hmm. and and have us think through that a bit. So I think that um, when it comes to that kind of dynamic, and you say, well, so what does repentance look like? What if you realize I'm putting too much, uh, which, which can sound crazy, I'm putting too much importance on my spouse. Sure. Which, as a sentence by itself, some people are going to be like, wait a minute, how's that like? How's that possible? Yeah. Um, it is possible. And I think that when you when you look to your spouse as the ultimate source of meaning and significance and comfort and joy in your life, you are putting your spouse in a position that only God is designed to occupy. And therefore, inevitably, you're going to be disappointed. There's going to be disappointment there. Or you crush your spouse under the weight of that sort of expectation. Correct. 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 And so... Uh, your your question earlier of what does repentance look like, I think, is is an important one because, you know, for some areas of sin, the obvious act of repentance is stop doing that or completely separate yourself from that, right? Yes, that, yes. That, that's that's one of the most obvious forms of repentance, and you we know? don't recommend that for marriages. Correct. Correct. <laughs> we are absolutely not <laughs> recommending that. You know, I think that. Uh, so in this context, uh, this is where I think the some of the some of the thought of C.S. Lewis has been helpful to me. In that uh, I don't have the exact uh, citation of the of, of where he says this, and this is a paraphrase. So just to be clear, uh, but basically Lewis said something along the lines of, uh, "God doesn't find our desires too strong." but he finds them too weak, hmm. meaning that when we think of areas of sin, we tend to think of, gosh, my desire for this is just so strong, and if I could just lessen my desire of this sinful thing, that that would be the answer. And part of what Lewis kind of helps us see is that that's not necessarily the case, that the reality is that what we need is not just maybe a lessening of desire for whatever sinful thing God has identified, but a an intensified and an even greater desire for God Himself that overcomes that previous desire. So when it comes to marriage, I don't think the answer to uh, repenting from this form of idolatry is to say, "I need to love my spouse less." Mm-hmm. I think the answer is, "I need to love Christ more, hmm. so that." My love for my spouse is contextualized and framed by a greater love for Christ. And so let me give you an example of, of why that's important. So if, uh, if your spouse becomes an idol, you might be less likely to confront your spouse about sin because you don't want to do anything to disrupt or damage that relationship you have with your, with your spouse because— they're the ultimate. That, yeah. So you don't want to maybe have a hard conversation of, I see this in your life, this is sin, and so we need to work together to to help you grow in that area. But that's what Christ-like love looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you look at Ephesians five, it holds the model for husbands as love your wives as Christ loved the church, and it talks about sanctifying, washing her, cleansing her, that you're pursuing her 
spiritual good. And that's not just husband to wife. That's also wife to husband as well. Sure. So um, that, there's, a, there's a situation right there where if you've, if you've put your spouse in a position where they're your ultimate, you're probably not going to call them out on an area of sin and then enter in to try to help them grow. Hmm. Whereas if you love Christ more than your spouse and you're ultimately concerned more about how your spouse is going to reflect Christ in their own life and how together you can reflect Christ's character and his relationship with his people, your love for Christ will move you then to have the hard conversation that says, I need to talk to my spouse about this area and we need to try to grow together in this. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I really love that. And I think it's transferable to a number of things that God would call good that we would make ultimate. Absolutely. I think, you know, that's that in one sense is kind of a fundamental definition of of idolatry. Uh when it comes to uh what Satan likes to do is take things that are good and uh entice us to make them ultimate so hmm. that they take the place that only God uh, deserves. Awesome. Well, if if somebody wanted to do some more reading about this, uh do some reading about uh marriage, where 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 would they go? Yeah, so I think that um let me just preface this by saying I think there are a lot of bad marriage books out there. Okay. A lot of bad ones. But when it comes to books that I think are especially helpful, um, as I've done uh, some premarital counseling, uh, I have pretty consistently used uh, John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage, which I think provides a very good uh, theological framework for uh, thinking about marriage and, and having sort of God's glory in perspective as the sort of driving force behind uh, your your marriage. Uh, another one that uh, I'll mention, which is maybe a little bit more practically oriented, is uh, Dave Harvey's book, When Sinners Say I Do, which is uh, mm. helpful in terms of thinking about uh, relating to one another as sinners, that you're a sinner and you're marrying a sinner. And so, of course, there are going to be uh, consequences from that. And, you know, there's probably one other book we should mention. I'm going to save that one for you since uh, it's your guy. Uh, yeah, I would recommend Tim Keller's <laughs> The Meaning of Marriage. Uh came out, oh goodness, probably a decade ago now almost, 2012 maybe. maybe? Yeah, I mean, if, if it's good enough for Justin Bieber, it's probably yeah, good enough for yeah. you, right? <laughs> um, yeah, Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, provides a clear and uh, consistent picture of what marriage looks like according uh, according to the gospel. So um, I, I've found it very helpful in couples I've walked, I've performed weddings for, ask them to step into and read. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. 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 And we'll look forward to going through that one together. Yeah, I know. I made you switch. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't make me switch. I, I, I was willing to go that I was going to go that <laughs> way anyway. So, well, we have, uh, we, we need to move on to talk about our athlete of, uh, for, for number six. So, uh, when it comes to athletes here, it seems like we're looking primarily at a couple of NBA uh, stars from past years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people on our list, Bill Russell and Julius Irving, yeah. um, probably stand out to me. Yeah. And if you want to, you're not to baseball there. Stan Musial from the Cardinals was, yes. a, was a, a legendary one. Of course, uh, in the interest of uh, pandering to our sizable crowd in Ohio, uh, you know, there's not been a, a legendary number six at Ohio State, though 
Uh, Evan Spencer, uh, C. Grant, and Sam Hubbard have recently worn the number and done it proudly, but uh, none rise to the level of that we of need all-time yeah. elites. But uh, so, what are you thinking in terms of? Uh, I, I feel like it's kind of down to Bill Russell and Julia Serving. Dr. Yeah, I, I, we were agreed on that. Uh, I like Dr. J. Julia Serving. Um, ABA guy uh, came over and. Uh, all I can think is the clip where he has that phenomenal under the backboard scoop layup that's uh, yeah. iconic, uh, and he's got probably one of the best nicknames in sports. Yeah, and he also the other iconic play that stands out with Dr. J is there was a play I think it was in the NBA Finals against the Lakers where he had a breakaway dunk, and he kind of uh, did the kind of one of the first to do kind of the rock the rock the ball like it's a baby in a, in a cradle and then a kind of you know, a massive kind of tomahawk finish um, and, and did he do the first uh foul line dunk in the dunk contest? I don't know if he was the first but he certainly came to be known as that guy yeah. like he, he was the guy that did that oh, I forgot about that and so yeah. now of course Bill Russell legendary Celtic I think he was a part of I can't remember the number is it like maybe like 10 or 11 NBA like championships that. yeah one of the greatest defensive uh, centers in NBA history. But uh, I, I lean towards Dr. J in part because he was really? part of, well, he was part of my growing up as a basketball fan. So when he was, you know, when he was sort of still in his prime, that's when I was just becoming aware of professional basketball. And so he was, for me, the sort of the guy before Jordan. Like the, the the guy that mm. you like, you wanted to watch an NBA basketball game because of Dr. J. So uh, have we have we agreed on going with uh, Dr. J for the? Yeah, I'm against all things Boston. So Julia Serving is wonderful <laughs> okay. to me. All right, so let's talk about uh, one thing we we each liked this week. Here, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. So I just finished uh, the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Uh, it's a uh, work by uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, but they've uh, published this book, and I, I cards on the table, love everything that Jonathan Haidt does. Uh, not everything, but, but lots of things that he does. Uh, and this book was no exception. Really good about uh, how we have pandered to safetyism in our society, and it's created a weak uh, college students specifically. Uh, mm. And so they advocate for uh, free speech and how um, speaking f- uh, speaking freely ena- enables you to be able to interact with somebody else's argument and actually strengthens your own argument. Mm. Um, so that was, that was really good. Uh, it started out as an Atlantic article that they blew up into a book, so I'll link the Atlantic mm. article if anybody's okay. interested. Yeah, that's good. So for me, uh, I've been hacking my way through a very long book that I've enjoyed. It's just one of these really long books of, you know, 800 plus pages. It's a book by Peter Stuhlmacher called Biblical Theology of the New Testament. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart. So this is not necessarily (laughs) a sort of general recommendation, but uh, it's actually an English translation of a two-volume German work. So Schumacher is a uh, relatively uh, well-known German uh, New Testament scholar, and part of what makes him unique is the fact that he's not, you know, uh, that he's largely conservative on a lot of a lot of uh, theological issues and takes the Bible seriously. And um, 
Which, and just for the listeners, that's odd for a, for that, a that's German, right? That's very uncommon right? yeah. for, for German scholarship on the New Testament, so that's refreshing. But, um, yeah, so I've been enjoying that. Again, uh, I would not necessarily recommend that for most of our listeners. Uh, I think if you're going to pick one of those two things you li- that we like <laughs> this week to read, uh, I'm probably going to steer you towards uh, the uh, yours, John. So, in any case... Well, we have uh, done what we set out to do in wandering through and covering our various and sundry topics. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.